0: Gary, a pastor to Lathi Bible Fellowship, Oregon, and this is Heartscribe Verse by Verse. It's a show where we go through the Bible expositorily and study its implications for the inner person. So today we're going to continue looking at the book of James, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, and specifically we're highlighting a few points moving on to uh, chapter or verse 5. So remember, the show is only about 20 minutes or so, so we're going to see how far we can get. So let's do it. Uh, we'll open up book of James.
1: Oh, that's open to the book of Matthew. <laughs> Let's open up the book of James. Chapter 1, verse 4. Okay. There you are. Verse Actually, we'll read it from verse two. Consider it all joy,
0: my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the last video, we discussed why suffering is uh, a profound tool in the tool belt of believers and mature Christians, and we talked about how God uses it to strengthen our lives. But before we move to verse 5, there are still a few more things that I want to highlight. Um, specifically, we talked a lot about suffering and how that's just necessary. Like I said, it's part of the tool belt, and I think people can oftentimes get the wrong idea. And some might be tempted to say that Um, because of this teaching that we believe that Christianity is essentially a form of masochism and that God is a sadist Um, and that because God allows for well, not just allows for but even uses suffering that um, we then should have that mentality about suffering and we should sort of join in with him in that and that we should enjoy the pain but the truth is something different. This isn't saying that you should enjoy the pain. It's saying that you should consider it as something that's joyful. It's something different. God uses suffering specifically because it's kind of the elephant in the room of our human existence. God wasn't the one who put it there per se. Um, humans were the ones who introduced it in the Garden of Eden. I mean, you can get into the theology of that and talk about Satan really introducing it. But humans were kind of the ones who introduced it in the Garden of Eden. So let's go back. Let's just take a look at that real quick. We're going to go to Genesis uh, chapter 3. That's that's the
1: chapter where it all kind of goes down. So we'll go to Genesis chapter 3. And we're looking at... Verses like eight, I think, yeah,
0: eight through nineteen. So here we go. Verses eight. Oh, we'll just start. Wow. Wow. Okay, here we go. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave uh, to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all of the livestock, and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendants. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children, yet your desires will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, yet you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground because from it you are taken, for you are dust, to dust you shall return. So, man introduced suffering and struggle into the Garden of Eden, and it was a part of the pain. uh, The pain was caused as a consequence of our sin. And so the truth is, is that um, when we're having this conversation about pain and suffering, talking about how God can use it, we sometimes make God the author of the pain, but in fact it's a consequence. We live in a sin informed world, and God doesn't pretend that that's not true and He doesn't keep our consequence, our consequences from us, but he also doesn't let it control the narrative that he's building. He works it into the narrative, and somehow he does that um, for our benefit and so our responsibility as believers is to like marvel at how clever he is in doing that, and part of that marveling is to consider it joyful, uh, a joyful thing to be able to watch him work against our consequences, and to to see the way that he makes everything work together for the good of those who love him. Um, but then, the temptation is to think that we should be living in suffering, that that's a part of like God's design. that suffering is um, not a consequence of sin, but it's like what God wants for us um, in terms of like how He crafted us, and the truth is that living in suffering isn't somehow a good thing without God in the picture. It's only good. When God is actively making that suffering work toward the narrative, we can't just go around inflicting suffering. We can't just go around inflicting trial and being like, well, see, God does this, and God makes it work for us. Um, So it's something where we have to be really dynamic in our understanding when we're talking to people who are going through suffering. We can't just be like, you see, God makes bad things happen Or God makes good things happen out of bad things, so we should do bad things to each other. Um, We have to be really dynamic in our understanding. Does that mean that we can enjoy suffering um, because of the goals it achieves? Namely, as stated earlier, endurance toward perfection and completion in his will. Um, Well, well, firstly, we have to remember that the only reason why that's a thing is because... um, well, the only reason why that works is because we live in his character. And when we, when we stray away from that and we're suffering, then good things aren't going to be produced from that. So that's the first thing. Um, so that's to say that we shouldn't be rejoicing in our suffering. That's like the main thing. Now, that is not to say that we can't find joy or consider it joy when we're suffering. But we're not supposed to uh, just want suffering for the sake of suffering. Instead, we're supposed to consider what joy is promised despite the fact that we're suffering, despite the fact that we have trials, despite the fact that we have pain. Um, And those things are only a factor when we endure, when we endure that suffering. Um, What we're supposed to do is let that consideration strengthen our resolve and be a motivation and a driving force toward our wholeness as human beings. He uses that term, completeness. Uh, Let's just go back to that
1: passage. He uses the term completeness in... This isn't grabbing it. Okay. There we go. He uses
0: the term completeness right here in verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing so basically do we rejoice over suffering no but we do rejoice over the effect of suffering when god is involved Uh, and in that we can live victoriously and there can be real beauty now this has implications for those who are in leadership Uh, so basically to to the pastors to the teachers to counselors But I would say, especially more than any of those things, it has implications for for parents. Um, Because a lot of people don't think that they're in leadership, but if you have children, you're in leadership. We have to take into account all of these things when we deal with the suffering of others. And what happens is we risk their relationship with suffering, so their understanding, their, their healthy relationship with suffering. We risk that becoming unhealthy if we encourage them to suffer um, I don't know for if we encourage them to suffer specifically for suffering's sake because suffering causes endurance um, and you know perfection toward completion the, the the key here is understanding that that is really only an aspect of uh, our life as Christians because of bringing God into that picture or rather because of recognizing God in that picture. If we have the opposite mentality about that, then we basically become the tormentors of the people that we're encouraging to suffer. We become essentially sadists um, when we encourage people to suffer for the sake of suffering. Um, And that doesn't produce endurance. And it doesn't produce perfection. It produces despair. It produces the opposite of what we intend. Suffering, and I want to be clear about this, only makes sense when it has the right context. The purpose of suffering in the right context, well, first of all, it is as a consequence of the sin that entered the world in Genesis 3. So we make the best out of it. Um, but its purpose is As a means to grow us. And it is something that has an end, meaning it's not something that just goes on forever and ever and ever, and we just need to keep suffering and keep suffering and suffering. No, it's something that has an end, if not in this life, then in the next. It's something that we do with thanks. In other words, you can't suffer and grumble about the fact that you're suffering. Um, It's something that entrusts your personal care to a God who loves you. And that is to say that you recognize that God is taking care of you even though you are suffering in that moment. You don't drop the pretext for the suffering ever. If you take those elements out of the suffering, you're essentially just being tortured. And you, especially if you're the one, if you're the one who's teaching people to suffer, then you become the captor, the tormentor, like I said. Um, and so we have, to, we have to be very careful to intend to not inflict trials on the people that we love. It's a little bit like tossing somebody in the deep end, right? The only reason that we toss somebody in the deep end so that they can learn to swim, right, is if it's done with confidence that they either will swim or we've given them the tools to do so, preferably all those things, and we are capable of saving them. We don't just throw them into the deep end and say, ah, you'll figure it out, you know, and then when they drown, wonder why they didn't figure it out. Anything less than that doesn't promote growth, and it can be um, even fatal to people. Um, So, yeah, growth for a believer comes despite trials. It doesn't come because of trials. It comes despite the trials, Uh, and that's all a question of perspective. Do we have the right perspective? Do we accept that God can use the suffering that we're going through despite the fact that the devil is the one who makes you suffer or that you are the one who makes you suffer or that the ill intent of others is what makes you suffer or that the circumstances that you're in just happen to make you suffer? Do we accept that God can use that suffering despite all those things? And do we understand that God isn't actually offering the suffering So much so as he's guaranteeing that the only way he would let you take, you know, participation in the suffering that's being offered to you um, by the devil or someone with evil intent or yourself or life circumstances, the only reason that he would allow you to even have that offer is because he knows that he can make that into something useful in your life. Do we accept that about God? Do we accept his sovereignty in that case? And just in case there's any doubt about the idea that we aren't talking about a masochistic relationship with suffering and pain and trials, um, we should take a look back at James's words. In James you 1-2, know, he says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Right? The types of trials that we should consider joy are the ones that happen to us consider it all joy when you encounter various trials like when they come upon you actually if you go back and you look at the greek of the text you'll you'll find that the word there for encounter is more like a falling into so when you like fall into this trap you should consider it joy there are things that happen to us so it's not um ones that we seek out, and it's not ones that we plan for others. James isn't speaking about people and their, like, foolish behavior of wanting to learn the hard way. That's not what he's talking about. He's clearly saying, though, that God has the ability to salvage and even skillfully create from the wreckage of the ambush of an oncoming, um, you know, flood of uh, suffering or trials. God has the ability to, to create from that wreckage something that's beautiful. Uh, and, I, and I would go so far as to say not just something that's beautiful, but even better than when we started down the path. We have to approach these trials that are thrust upon us, the ones that we encounter, that we fall into, the way that Joseph did. And he's a very specific example in Scripture, a really appropriate example, because he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He didn't do anything wrong. And so he literally was put into a pit that he couldn't get out of, and he was forced to suffer. Well, in the end, if you know the story, he ends up essentially becoming like one of the highest-ranking authorities in the land of Egypt. Um, and it was through the suffering that that was made to happen. So let's, uh, let's take a look at his response to his brothers when they um, have a reunion. So this is Genesis
1: actually working this time. Oh, oh, kind of working. Okay. Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to go down to verse 20. Okay. 17, 18, 19, and 20. Uh, They were afraid of him because, you know, they sold him into slavery.
0: And so they fell down before him. The brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. They were afraid he was going to kill them. He had that authority now. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. So, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it joyful. Can you imagine that being said to somebody who was sold into slavery? Um, Culturally, this this is an issue today, where we don't want to accept that bad things can happen to good people but that God can do right by them. We instead want to take that and turn that on the people who did something wrong to us. But remember what Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. So there's a few things to take away from this short but impactful section on pain. Believers should consider trials for their ending results and not their immediate effects. We should consider the things that we're going through that we're suffering through, even terrible things, um, even heinous things. We should consider them for their ending results and not their immediate effects. This is done in the mind. It's not done in the feelings. And we have to look beyond those. And you might say, okay, well, what about like if it's gonna kill you? Well, what about if it's gonna kill you? And scripture is really, really clear that. Our world is not summed up in this physical existence. Sometimes death is the better option. Um, It means immediate connection to God. So, yeah, even in death, we should assume in faith that God will use these things to our completion. That's the next thing. We're better in the long run for having faced these things in this life if we have the scriptural narrative we're better in the long run if we face these things in this life. And the last thing is that we should allow for endurance in these trials. We have to realize that when we try to exorcise these trials, not exercise, exorcise, get rid of these trials in um, our lives completely, which is kind of the way that Western culture moves, like let's get rid of all the difficulties. When we try to do that, it actually removes the possibility for the blessing of completeness in our lives, and gets rid of the skill set of endurance. So, we're at about 20 minutes. Um, hopefully, these things will help you endure better, and will help you to understand your relationship with trials in a deeper way. Uh, for your own studies, I would suggest reading through the book of Philippians. That's a really important book, um, They were written while Paul was in prison, while he was um, suffering, right? And specifically, uh, focus on chapter 4. You hear us going back to that a lot, Philippians 4. So I would, for your own studies, maybe check out Philippians. And just remember to open those Bibles and um, spend some time in prayer processing this discussion today. Reread this passage. You know, it's just one verse. Commit it to memory. And also, if it's been of value to you, please share the content, subscribe to it uh, so that we can get more people studying with us. And of course, you know, if you're on YouTube, hit the notification bell so that you know when the next study posts. And um, thanks for watching and stay vigilant.